Father God, we pray uh, now that uh, as we have offered up uh, our hearts uh, in, in praise and our gifts to you, that uh, now you would give your heart to us uh, and you would empower us uh, for the coming week. Uh, we ask for your work to be done in this house and that we would all change at least a little bit before we go today. We submit ourselves to your will and to your purposes on earth and thank you for including us in the family business. In Christ's name we pray, amen. It's a family business today, it's Ohana Sunday and, and uh, if you haven't heard, there's like a little luncheon and activities for the keiki and, and parents after the service across our lanai there. Um, you'll want to get in on that. Uh, so if you're a family with little ones, please, please hang out and jump in. You'll see where the people are headed uh, after the service. We are uh, this week and next wrapping up a sermon series that we have been doing on culture and on popular culture and what's happening in it and what it means for, uh, for us kingdom people. Um, Today, uh, we're going to be talking about kingdom culture. We've talked a lot about popular culture. We want to talk about, well, you know, what's, what's culture for us kingdom people? What are the things that we want to keep track of in today's world of, of swirling cultural pressures and changes? Uh, but of course, as we approach topics that are large like this, we always need to warm up. So everybody roll your shoulders. Everybody give high fives to the people next to you. All right, uh, warm-up question. It's Ohana Sunday, which means the keiki are in here on service with us, so I think it's only fair that the keiki answer the questions. Am I right? Uh, so let's see here. I'm going to uh, anoint uh, one of my keiki, Jojo, and she's going she's gonna to go um, put the microphone in front of some, uh, in front of some children. So I want, I want all the kids to, to be, have, your, have your thinking cap on. Here's the question. And in this question is an opportunity for you, kids. The question is, what makes for a good parent? What, what, yeah, what, what makes a parent good? What makes, oh, right away, Olivia's hand goes straight up. She's got, she's got a brother and a sister between her and a parent, so... What makes a good parent is someone who doesn't always spoil you, but spoils you a little and has discipline. Just, just give her back the microphone and she can preach today. I, I think that'd be fine. What makes a good parent is, is not somebody who spoils you, although they can spoil you a little bit, uh, but also someone who brings discipline into your life. It's a good answer uh, from a kid. Uh, who else we got? How about, uh, oh, I can't even see whose hand that is, but, oh, it's an Escobar kid. A loving parent. A loving parent is a good parent. Love. Juan and Liz look very proud right now. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll give one more chance. Here's your opportunity to slide something in there. What makes for a good parent? Who, who wants to answer? What makes for a good parent? You might have to, you might have to choose one, Jojo. We already heard from the woods. <laughs> yeah. 
That the woods have 50% of the children in the church that belongs to, <laughs> belong to the woods. It's a big family. Come on. Go ahead, Jojo. Pick one. Oh, Jace, let's hear from a Camacho. I can't think of any. What makes for, what makes for a good parent? They have to be energetic in order to watch you a lot. They have to be energetic in order to watch you a lot. I, I think we have the full set of good answers now. Need to be, uh, be uh, need to provide discipline, they need to provide love, and they need a lot of energy. Thank you very much. This is your parenting class for, for today. That, uh, that's, a, that's a blue water freebie. Uh, nice job, kids. You're obviously way, way smarter than the adults. We've been talking about culture, which is this, this, this social force, right? Culture is, is sort of the gathering of, of society's, you know, norms and expectations and attitudes and, and values, everything that we kind of share in common and agree on, even though we might not consciously agree on it. Culture is a powerful thing, and we all grow up with one. Culture is really society's way of, of keeping itself safe and strong over time. I mean, cultures develop across, across the centuries with people groups um, as a way of kind of passing down important lessons uh, that, uh, that make things work as we share life together and that keep uh, people from dangers. Uh, that, that cultures pass on wisdom that might not be readily apparent to the young person, uh, but if the young person accepts it over time, maybe they too will learn the wisdom of the cultural ways. At least that's how it works in good cultures. Uh, but sometimes society starts to feel so safe and so strong that it gets a little tr crazy. Some cultures are so successful that they make society kind of, well, you know, kind of fat, kind of lazy, kind of relaxed kind of luxurious, and it's at that point that society can begin to forget the important principles and values that brought them to that wonderful place of prosperity and security. And then, kind of like maybe, you know, soldiers who haven't fought a war in a long time, you know, it might start to think that the point of being a soldier is looking good in a uniform instead of being strong and protective and able to fight should needs arise. Uh, or, or, or maybe culture becomes like a, like a family who's gotten so rich over time that they've forgotten how to do hard work. You know, you kind of forget what brought you to that point and you lose some uh, capacity. Uh, society might begin to devalue and to deconstruct the very principles and virtues that, that generated the safety and security in the first place. And, and, and this, this deconstruction has happened frequently in history. We've talked about that over the last several weeks. And I believe that we're seeing a big cultural deconstruction in America in a big way uh, today. And there's this pervasive idea uh, in, in our society uh, that society ha has, has really grown out of well, they've, they've grown out of God. You know, they've grown out of repressive religion because, you know, religion, that's just that repressive system of olden days, you know, 
I mean, doesn't religion start all wars anyway? Stuff like that. Um, there's this idea that, well, you know, God is dead, or at least we can let him die now, or we can let, you know, traditional Christian values die, stuff like that, because, you know, Christians are just old-fashioned haters and bigots anyway. You know, these, these sort of sentiments uh, are out there in a really, really powerful way now. You don't, you don't really see people of faith glorified in media, on TV, or in movies anymore. If there's, if there's a, an, a Christian in a, in a movie, and the Christian is either really, really weak, well-meaning, but a buffoon, or more likely a Christian is, is the hypocrite and the bigot and the problem. And that's been going on for some from decades now. And so in this sermon series, we, we've, you know, we've looked at that because it's a, little, it's a little worrisome. I mean, as a pastor, what I worry about most is that it could make can make you, it could make us feel a little bit defensive. You know, if everything in culture and society is telling you that you're an idiot, that can wear on you. You know, it can weaken you a little bit at your, at your core. So, I mean, so what is true about it? I mean, you know, what is true about biblical values? What is true about the life of faith versus the life, life of science? And so we've just, we've just taken a look at that. You know, sort of dug through the static and, and ask some questions about what is, what is true in, in different arenas. We've looked at politics. You know, what's going on in politics today and what's, what's actually true? We looked at economic culture um, and, and science culture because, believe me, science has a culture to it as it is practiced. Uh, we looked at popular morality and sexuality and things like that. And, and I think uh, that we've determined, without a lot of trouble really, that society largely doesn't know what it's talking about. That in a deconstruction culture, in a culture hell-bent on deconstructing itself, truth is the number one casualty. Truth is the thing that gets thrown out of the window first. And that's part of the deconstructionist philosophy. But here's a question. We've gone through all that. That's just by way of a review. Here's, here's a question uh, that we can kind of begin to wrap up with in this series, if popular culture is a little mixed up, then what kind of culture should, should godly kingdom people build among themselves in order to navigate the onslaught of social pressure and change? That, that's our goal after all, is to come up with a kingdom culture that is life-giving, not just to us, but to the world around us, to be, to be the light. Um, the salt, the flavoring in the world that, that we should be. Uh, so if you've been around for this sermon series, you've heard me use, uh, you know, uh, this, this 50 cent word, deconstructionism, um, where it's this phenomenon happening in society where you just want to deconstruct whatever has been passed down to you. You don't want to honor your father and your mother, so to speak. You don't want to honor the origins, the source of, of our social culture. You want, you, want to, well, you want to destroy it. You want to take it apart. Uh, you want to leave it behind. Uh, and, and we call that deconstructionism. Uh, the opposite of deconstructionism might be something like traditionalism, where you want to honor traditions above all things. You become sort of strict about that, you know. 
There's only one way, and it is the way that has worked forever, and nothing can change. You know, nothing can change. You are a traditionalist. So there's sort of deconstructionism on one side, and traditionalism is on the other side. You follow me so far? Yeah? If I asked you to define deconstruction, could you? Those who have heard the whole sermon series? Really? Because I know a lot of grad students that can't. Deconstructionism on one side and traditionalism on the other side, um, neither of which I think are, are helpful. Um, and uh, what I like to think about is, is, is this category that I call essentialism, getting to the essence of things. And I think that's a pretty unique Christian skill. Uh, it's something that, that Jesus taught me. Essentialism is kind of looking at, at traditions, looking at the ways that you've been taught, maybe the ways that you've been taught by the Bible, by your Christian upbringing. Some of you were, uh, were raised in the church. Looking at those things and figuring out what the essential bits are, what the, what the heart of it is, and holding on to the heart of things, even though the trappings might change over time. I think the kingdom of God, as Jesus defines it, that, that was his concept. He had the kingdom of God, the dominion of God on earth. That was Jesus' main preaching topic uh, when he uh, walked the earth. I think the kingdom of God is attacked by the world on one side and by religion on the other. Uh, we've said that at Blue Water oftentimes. Uh, the, the kingdom of God is attacked by the world on one side, and, and Jesus talked about the world. Paul talked about the spirit of the world. There's, you know, worldliness is this force that tries to get you to throw it all away. You know, God isn't real. Uh, you don't need to be a virtuous person. Live for yourself, you know. Sin. The world tries to corrupt you by getting you to throw it all away. Uh, but religion is often a little better. If you read through the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in Scripture, which is to say if you read through the stories about the life and the ministry of Jesus on earth, you find that Jesus doesn't often fight with worldly people. Who does Jesus fight with? He's always fighting with the religious experts. Uh, by my count, Jesus had 62 arguments or contentious conversations in the Gospels, and 60 of them were with religious experts. You know, he's, it was the religious people that were trying to bring him down, and, and religious people eventually conspired to get him killed because they thought he was some sort of licentious playboy who didn't take the traditions of God seriously enough. And so, you get attacked by the world on one side, and by religious experts on the other, and we get to see Jesus try to navigate uh, a true path, what he called the straight and the narrow path, um, to, to get to the essence uh, of things. The world tries to get you to throw away the kingdom, and religion tries to suck the life and grace and purpose out of the kingdom. Neither are good. Um, one way to navigate is to essentialize. Are you following me so far? Jesus was facing in his day uh, kind, kind, of a, kind of a deconstructionist society. He was, he was living in a society in flux because his society, the, the, the Jewish society, the Palestinian society uh, of his day, 
uh, had been occupied by a huge Roman force, right? And there's huge political upheaval and huge cultural upheaval uh, as, as a result. Uh, the Romans were sort of like, uh, hey, all religions are the same. Let's just all incorporate all our beliefs together. And they were all about watering everything down because, you know, their goal was to just kind of like create a new world order that way. So, you know, hey, religion is trouble. Religion starts wars. Agree with us or we will wipe you out. It wasn't subtle, uh, but that's what they were doing. So that was on one side, um, the deconstructionist influence of the Romans and then the traditional religious influence uh, of the controlling religious group of his day. He was, he was caught between those two forces. Uh, and, uh, and his preaching was shaped by it. Our text is on the back of your program today. Uh, we had a heck of a time printing these programs uh, this morning. Uh, the machine jammed and Antonio is on vacation. Uh, so when he gets back, I will inform him no more vacations. <laughs> uh, it'll also be up on the big board if, uh, if you didn't grab a program. So what I have here is, is uh, basically Matthew chapter 5, uh, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the most famous teaching that Jesus ever gave. And I haven't printed the entire chapter. Uh, I've just printed excerpts of it. I've left some verses out just to, uh, just to condense it and, and make it readable this morning. But what Jesus is doing is this is his, his first recorded huge public sermon, and he's trying to get people to understand what he's about and what he's bringing uh, to the world. And he's speaking to a lot of people who, who, are, who are in, you know, in the same situation he is. You've got the pressure of the Romans on one side, and then you've got all of these, you know, religious experts on the other side are saying, man, you had, you had better do it our way. Um, and, and already the religious experts were accusing him of not taking the ways of God seriously enough. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Don't think that I've come to break God's rules. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that word fulfill is a hugely important word. Some Bible translations will say, uh, but I have come to perfect them. And other translations will say, but I have come to fulfill the law. I've come to, uh, excuse me, I've come to complete the law, complete God's purposes. I love the word fulfill. I'm, I'm here to, to, uh, to fill them totally. Uh, for I tell you, Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished, until it's done everything that it was supposed to do for us. And then he goes into a bunch of, you have heard it said. Everybody say, you have heard it said. One of Jesus' favorite phrases. You have heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Ah, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which is an old insult that means idiot, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, that you're not getting along very well, well, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. So what's happening here is that Jesus is saying, look, the commandment was don't murder, don't kill anyone. But the real point was live in peace with everyone. You have to understand the point behind the law or you fail to fulfill it. You fail to complete it fully. It's kind of filling things out. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Like, yeah, you know, there is a rule. There is a rule of conduct. Conduct yourself well in this regard. But the true point of that rule has to do with what's going on in your heart. He deepens it. He fills it out. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. We just talked about that last week. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, some big thing like that, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That was the moral issue of Jesus' day. It's like, man, it's not just about how to divorce or how to stay married correctly. It's about, you know, desire and commitment at a heart level. Man, again, you have heard it that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. If you make a promise, keep it. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the the city of the king. Don't swear on a Bible. Don't swear. As God is my witness, I will keep my word. Don't do stuff like that. Be humble instead. Be humble. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, he says a few lines later. Just, you know, realize that, you know, you're going to do the best you can and even you are not totally in control of you. That's an interesting piece of wisdom. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, uh, which is an old saying that means keep, keep justice just, right? Uh, Let the punishment for a crime fit the crime. If somebody steals a piece of bread, don't lop off their head. You know, if somebody takes an eye, take one of their eyes. If somebody takes a tooth, take one of their tooth. So keep it commensurate. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. You know the rest of this teaching. If somebody asks you for their coat, give them your shirt as well. If somebody forces uh, you to walk one mile with them, carrying a load for them, offer to go two miles instead, be willing to to get taken advantage of. So there are rules about fairness, and Jesus says, yeah, but if you want to fulfill those rules, be, be willing to get taken advantage of expanding it quite a bit. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Makes sense. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's a hard thing to say to a bunch of people who were were being 
victimized by an invading army at the time. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son, his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I, I think you would agree with me. Those are very challenging t- teachings. Don't just keep the rule, but figure out the spirit behind the rule and go all the way, man. Go all the way to the heart level. To fulfill the law, as Jesus says, means to complete its purpose. You have to understand the purpose behind the rule if you want to get the rule right. Following the law, following the rules is not the point of the rules, right? Following the law is not really the point of the law, right? The law is not trying to make you really good rule followers. The law is trying to make you really good people. In fact, in Jesus' terms, the law is trying to make you like your heavenly Father. You know, we're supposed to understand something of His character and His purposes by taking a look at His rules. Jesus 101. It's really the character of God uh, that counts. Are you following? If you're following, snap your fingers. Give a high five to the person next to you. Now do something else that's awkward, but it can be something of your choice. Go ahead. So if you want to be a really, a really good rule follower uh, in the kingdom of God, uh, you have to understand the point behind the rules. As Jesus said uh, in my favorite phrase on the subject, look, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So if you get hungry and you need to harvest some grain on the Sabbath, well, I mean, you do it. Uh, if your ox falls in a ditch on the Sabbath, well, save the ox's life. You know, don't keep the rule uh, in a way that destroys you. Realize that the rule was for your, your health in the first place. Understand the purpose behind the rule, um, which is, you know, sensible when you say it like that. But what happens if you don't understand the purpose behind God's rules? Well, you know, what happens if, if you know the rules generally, you know, but you don't really understand why they exist yet? You haven't gotten that far. What do you do then? Well, you follow the rules because they exist for a reason. And that's why God gave commandments is because He knew that we wouldn't understand the big picture purposes yet. And so when you're not that far along yet, when you're not that mature in your understanding or your thinking, then just follow the rules and they will keep you safe until such a time uh, as, uh, as you do understand it. That's maturity uh, in, in the kingdom of God. Um, that, will, that will keep you going for a while, but you have to understand that there's a point behind the rules. Uh, and uh, if you don't understand that, um, then you'll end up worshiping the rules themselves. And this was a problem that Jesus had with the religious people. If you follow the rules without, under, without realizing that 
you know, there's a per point and a purpose behind them, um, then you get very, well, religious, and you'll do a couple bad things. One, you'll end up just steamrolling people. You'll end up just steamrolling people because maybe they don't understand why you're following the rule, but you'll just judge them. You'll just say, hey, you know, God said it. You have to do it. You have to do things our way. Uh, Jesus, Jesus fought with Pharisees all the time uh, over this. Uh, and, and you got really mad at them on occasion saying, look, you know, you're loading the people down with rules that even you can't follow perfectly, so lighten up, dude. That's the way my Bible reads. Uh, I like the illustration of, uh, of traffic laws, traffic rules. Why, why are there traffic laws? To keep drivers safe and to keep pedestrians on the streets safe, right? What if you follow the laws but don't realize they're there to keep people safe? What if you're at an intersection, there's someone in the crosswalk, and the light turns green? Well, the law is on a green light you have to go. So you just step on the gas and mow down the pedestrian in the crosswalk. Have you broken the law or not? I mean, yes and no, right? I mean, you've, you've kept the letter of the law, but you've entirely violated the spirit of the law. And so you're going to get your butt thrown in jail if you behave like that. And that was Jesus' point with the religious authorities. It's like... you you don't understand the purpose of the law, and, and therefore you just use them to beat people up all the time. And that is entirely ungodly, Jesus 101. Uh, the second thing that happens if you don't realize there are larger purposes behind the rules of God is that you don't grow. You don't grow. Uh, you can't keep up with truth, or you won't be able to keep up with cultural changes. You won't be able to handle scientific discoveries and stuff like that because you haven't developed the capacity to essentialize. You know, uh, when Galileo uh, claimed that, well, you know, the planets revolve around the sun and he was, he was thrown in jail um, by the religious authorities in, in his day, all that was kind of based on a psalm that said, God, you have set... Uh, the stars in heaven. You have set them firmly. Uh, you have set the heavenly bodies in place. Well, if they're set, they can't be spinning around. They can't be rotating. And so based on the psalm, basically, you know, Galileo was, was imprisoned. I mean, I mean, the psalms are poetry. You know, these people weren't willing to grow. They weren't willing to essentialize what the Bible was saying. It's like, yeah, God created things. How? We don't understand yet. And as true as that was in the 16th century, it's just as true today. In fact, we understand less because now we're looking into subatomic things and that world gets really, really screwy and nobody has any idea how the universe holds together. But we know that God created it. That's the essential bit. And so we're not scared by any of this, uh, all these discoveries. So you don't grow. You don't grow. Um, here's the thing. We don't get to set aside God's rules, and we don't get to just set aside Christian traditions. We have to be obedient. We have to honor our fathers and our mothers. But eventually, we need to understand the point of what we've been taught, the essence of it, and, and to thereby fulfill it. 
it's not enough to just not murder people. We have to learn to love our enemies. We have to understand the spirit behind it. And that's how Jesus defined maturity. If you lack understanding about what the rules are for, about what traditions are about, what quote-unquote conservative Christian morality is about, if you don't really understand the point behind it yet, honor the rules anyway. Honor them humbly as best you can until such a time as you do understand the points and the purposes. Honor the rules humbly. Be obedient. That's my sermon for the day. Be obedient, but do it with a childlike spirit. Be like children. Uh, kingdom, uh, Jesus said uh, famously in uh, Mark 12, the kingdom of God belongs to ones such as these, these little children. Let the little children uh, come unto me. What, what, are, what are children like? Uh, well, they are willing to submit because children typically, typically realize they don't know as much as grown people do. They're willing to submit and they have uh, a desire to grow and to learn. That's just innate uh, in, in children. Uh, we are a work in progress even as adults. We should have a childlike spirit. We should be willing to submit and we should be hungry to learn and to grow. We don't know it all yet. Uh, we are a work in progress. There's nothing wrong with being childlike and humble. Uh, I think in this sermon series, we've discovered that there's nothing wrong with traditional biblical morality. Society would be way better off if it just followed general biblical morality. We've talked about that quite a bit. Um, do what the Bible says. Do what the Bible says. And when you understand why it says what it says, then you'll be able to do it even better. And I think there's something about kingdom culture in that phrase. I don't see a lot of childlikeness in, in popular culture. I don't see a lot of childlikeness in popular politics, which is all about defining who's in and who's out and who gets to be in control. It's childishness, yes. Childlikeness, not so much. You understand the difference? Uh, I don't see a lot of childlikeness in popular social justice movements. I see a lot of anger and a lot of blame casting, some compassion, but not a lot of humility. And as a result, problems are just compounding. They're just getting more and more complicated. I don't see a lot of childlikeness in money culture in our society. There rarely is in popular money culture throughout history. Kids don't sweat money too much. But adults sure do. And they get fearful and competitive and entitled and all sorts of nasty stuff. I don't see a lot of childlikeness in, in current uh, science culture. I see a lot of people pretending to be experts so they can get advanced and not really being humble about what discoveries are made or ostensibly made or disproved. People are claiming to know more when what science has really discovered is that we, there's more to know than we've ever thought. Um, 
I don't see a lot of childlikeness when it comes to popular sexuality and morality or that way. Um, I think uh, as Christians, we need to always ask ourselves this question. Well, what's it really about? What's, what, is it, what, is, what is really going on? What is really meant by that? What is God really saying? What am I really supposed to do? What is God really like? And these questions are always important. They're always alive in the kingdom of God. Those are essentialist questions. Well, what's the point behind this? As mature Christians, we need to ask that question a lot. Uh, for me, Jesus being such an essentialist ha- has a- empowered me to, to, to be an essentialist in, in all areas uh, of life. I am, as I say sometimes, uh, a pathological learner. I mean, like, I, some, some days I think I, I might even be sick um, because I just, I just love learning so much. I'm the guy that reads Wikipedia for fun. I do that. I read the Bible too, just so you know. But I just, I just, love, I just love to learn more because I have this childlike trust that it's going to teach me more about God and His ways no matter where the truth comes from, if it's truth, it will empower me to live a godly, safe, and strong life. What's the real truth about this scientific inquiry? What's the real truth about this social issue? I have become an essentialist in all things because there's a lot of deception in life. Have you noticed that? And I'm afraid that popular culture just isn't valuing truth very much. I try to be like a child in that way. I'm an eager learner, and I don't pretend to be an expert, but I'm always trying to gain expertise. You know, children know that they have a lot more to know. You know, and children are totally willing to obey even when they don't understand the first answer that Olivia gave us. What is it? What makes for a good parent? Well, you know, they can't be just like totally spoiling you. They have to give you discipline. Kids know this. Kids know that they require discipline. Kids know to be humble. They know this, right? They might want to get everything they desire, sure, but they know that they need teaching and discipline. And if you want to be an adult, you have to know the same thing. You know, you have to preserve that sort of childlikeness or you will just follow popular culture down all sorts of destructive paths. Um, I have been playing with this concept yesterday of, uh, recently of, of fake adulthood. Fake adulthood. I see a lot of fake adults in the world. Do you know what I mean by that? Almost every time I see an expert talking on television, it's like, that person is a fake adult. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, do you automatically know what I mean by that? I think you probably do. So that, that person's a fake adult. I don't sense a bit of maturity in that person. I sense posturing. I sense someone faking it. I bet you if I got in a room with that person and was allowed to ask three questions, I would just undo him. I have that feeling a lot, maybe because I'm arrogant, but mostly because I'm just upset. It's like, no! These cannot be the people that are running our culture. Every time, every time, but every time I see a Hollywood movie, I think, man, that is a fake picture of adulthood. 
there is not an ounce of maturity in what I am seeing. There is just posturing. Drama is not truth. It's drama. And this person has, has, has forgotten the difference. You know, this moralizing and this deconstructing, this, that's fake adulthood. That is produced by someone who never pushed himself or herself to learn truth, but only push, pushed himself or herself to, to peddle something popular. Everywhere I look, fake adulthood. I don't know, I don't, I don't want to be judgmental, but, you know, the only time Jesus really went off on people, it was to call them hypocrites. You know what hypocrites mean? Faker. Fake adult. Right? Every time he had an argument with a religious expert, it's like, you are a fake adult. You're a fake adult. What is this generation like, he said in one teaching. You know, it's like kids calling to each other in the marketplace saying, ah, oh, we got nothing good to do. Like, you're all like a bunch of whining kids. That's what he said of the religious community of Jesus' day. When he confronted the Roman community of his day, he refused to say anything at all. What's the point? What's the point? Fake adults. Everybody say, fake adults. Fake adults. I am trying so hard to fulfill God's will in my life. You know? And I'm trying so hard uh, to build a kingdom culture that honors the essential points that Jesus taught just to get to the heart of things. You know, I only live so long, I just, I just want to get to the heart of things. I want to know the heart of things, and I want to spread that knowledge, and I want to build culture and community that works, that spreads life and healing and makes people strong and purposeful. I mean, that's, that's it, you know? And, and the rest is just dross. It's just throw away. Uh, I, I would really love it at Blue Water when people walk in uh, to this community. They don't just get a face full of practice. They don't get a face full of tradition at all, but rather they get a heart-filling experience of the substance behind the practice, of the point behind the tradition. And I love for people to walk in and just get that substance first. It's like, wow, there's, there's, there's that. What, what is that exactly? And then when they get a taste of it, to see it worked out in our tradition and practice. I think that's how it should work. I want people to, to walk in and have like this visceral experience of grace and this visceral, visceral experience of love, as we heard from the keiki. And, and yes, this experience of discipline. I want us to be a community that honors truth and obedience. Because if we're not, we'll never grow up. Every kid knows that. Every kid knows that. I just hope we adults know it as well. I hope we keep track of it in this deconstructed culture, this culture that's falling apart all around us. Be truthful, full of truth, passionate for truth, for fact. Yeah, yeah. Just be humble about it. Just be obedient while you do it. Be willing to follow the rules until such a time as you understand the reasons behind the rules the purpose behind the rules. It will keep you safe and strong. Trust me on that. You can trust Jesus on that. Or you can trust literally thousands of years of the God tradition. 
which passes to us, us through Scripture. Scripture that has survived for a reason is because people who trust it do well. Communities who trust it manage to pass through all the centuries, through all the deconstructions, through all the empires. The truth of Scripture has never really failed any people who have followed it. It's been, well, 3,500 years now, if you go back to the early recorded laws. There is nothing else like it in all of human history. If you're disobedient, if you don't value the rules, your mind will darken and you won't be able to understand truth anyway. That's all I have to say about that. I'd like to pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, upon us this morning. Uh, the point of this sermon series uh, was to, um, to make us powerful and clear-headed in a world where everything is being not just questioned but criticized. Truth is still truth. And the facts actually bear it out. But of course, so does the Scripture. And so does the testimony of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, brothers and sisters, I honor the childlikeness in you. I honor your willingness to obey even when you don't understand fully the purposes behind the rules. I honor your willingness uh, to grow and to not be fake adults pretending to know stuff you don't. Be children in the house of God. Be brave like children are. Trusting that there is a powerful parent to guide, protect, and provide. I want to bless you, uh, believing brothers and sisters, for doing the good work of faithfulness through the years. And to encourage you, there will be many years ahead where your lights will shine all the more brilliantly for it. I pray, Father, for the power of conviction in this troop, that you would make us unashamed of the gospel, as Paul so frequently writes. Unashamed of the essence of what has been handed to us, confident in its power, that the work in you, the power in you, is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. In the name of Christ, be delivered from the spirit of fear and ridicule. You're good to go. Amen.